0: how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And, like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What What does others' healing look like? Hey, everybody, this is Rose. And this is Louisa. And you're listening to... Sober Sex. I made a
1: promise to myself just stop not listening what it looks like now is that i make conscious choices around my sexuality it started with putting down the substances really and starting to listen and the listening to my body has changed amber is a
2: menstrual cycle coach and educator equality warrior as well as an aspiring social scientist amber's main vision is decolonizing the menstrual cycle experience helping menstruators to experience transformational menstrual embodiment through education and holistic healing, however that may look or feel for them.
0: Woo! This is a fucking banger of an episode, if I do say really so is. myself. It really oh. is.
2: And I'd like to say for men and women alike to give a listen. It's not just a, a you know, or however you identify, It's this podcast is for you because it's super informative, super
0: beautiful to listen to, so... I don't think I've ever learned so much. <laughs> yeah. And during an hour and 22 minute conversation, so Same. you have a lot to look forward to. Same, including a special teaser about
2: why the G spot is named the G spot. The answer may shock you.
0: Listen <laughs> for more information, <laughs> it, w- it may ruin it for you forever. <laughs> <laughs> it may, it may oh <laughs> uh, man but it was such a nice time to like catch up with amber and to just like yeah. watch this person like bloom into oh. a genius academic she is really incredible truly well we hope that you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed recording it um it, as ever it's one of our very favorite episodes of <laughs> <Always>. <laughs> like all of them <laughs> and we're rolling <laughs> um so welcome to the show, Amber. You have mentioned that your pronouns are she and her. Does this work for you today?
1: Yes, it does.
0: Awesome. awesome. Oh, look at that beautiful waveform. Oh, yes. Also a she, her over here. <laughs> yes, same. Louise, is she, her. We are so happy to have you with us today. It's such an exciting thing to be able to talk to you about this stuff. So how are you?
1: I'm good. I'm really tired. Um, so, yeah, I just finished. I've just moved to a New City. Yeah. Um, started doing my master's degree, came internationally, 30-hour flight from New Zealand, and I feel like it's taken me a minute to land, and I'm kind of like, I moved to a city that I'd never been to before, (laughs) and so it was just like, whoa, Um, luckily it's quite quiet, Uh so yeah, like, I'm tired, that's basically it. (laughs) How did you decide on the city where you landed? Um so it was kind of this weird decision um that was kind of made for me in in effect like I in 2020 um you know peak COVID I applied for a few universities and um I got into um two of them uh, um one in London and and then Mm -hmm. one in Norwich which is where I'm where I currently am um and basically like in a series of events everything lined up for this like coming to Norwich but like nothing was lining up for the London venture and like so it was sort of like i just had to pay attention to the signs really to be like okay yeah. let's just let's just try it out you know <laughs> let's see what happens
2: i so love I that am. i love when things line up like that and it makes it like it's hard to question that it's the right thing because everything just seems to fall in and just the right way so that's awesome. Um missed before the show was us singing um best in show tunes about Norwich and <laughs> literally any time I hear you say Norwich I'm like God loves a terrier, and <laughs> going down that rabbit hole. So we—that was something that everybody missed before. I mean, so before, I might right? have
0: to just edit it into the end. So <laughs> I think we should. love a behind-the-scenes peek at the world of sober sex.
2: <laughs> um, so. awesome. Well, so so we're so thrilled to discuss the subject of your expertise with you today. We haven't—I don't think—we've had anybody on that's so specifically, you know. Uh, knows, knows so much about this and I'm fascinated. So what is a menstrual cycle coach? Oh,
1: um, well, <laughs> what isn't a menstrual cycle coach? <laughs> um, all right. A menstrual cycle coach is not a doctor. <laughs> it's not a physician of any sort. So I'll just get that clarified. Um, but no, basically, um, so what it is, is like, you know, commonly you hear people that are health coaches or business coaches, recovery coaches, um, Basically, this is just a modality where we work specifically focusing on coaching women through and during and basically with everything to do with the menstrual cycle so it's new to its form and in fact I am doing the first ever certified menstrual cycle coaching course Um, which means that like yeah like it's not up until this point it hadn't been a recognized kind of coaching modality but now as people are starting to see menstrual cycle awareness is actually something that we really need as a society as a generation of people who menstruate like because it's not just about people who have periods it's about all of the spectrum from the start to the finish to the leading into to the coming out of. Um, So like long story short, like I offer like a range of sort of services effectively where you can either work one-on-one with me and a one-on-one might look like someone coming to me as a coach and saying, I have really bad PMS, you know, two weeks out of my cycle, I am like in a ball crying like all over the place um, and I really need help. Or it might be someone who's like, I have an interest in the menstrual cycle and I just want to know more. Like, what can you sort of teach me? How can you coach me to like, sort of, yeah, like have, be in that space of knowing about my menstrual cycle. Um, someone with endometriosis might come to me and say, I have endometriosis. Um, I have all these other forms of support, but I'm just really looking for something else. Um and yeah, and then on the flip side of that, there is also like you know you can do things like group coaching, so running like workshops and events. So one thing that I am looking at doing um, in the next couple of weeks is running, um, and I promise this is not shameless promotion, <laughs> <laughs> Go for it, baby. but I am mm-hmm. looking to run um, a four-week course for women who are sober, because like you know that's a really important thing to know about a sober person. Um, and also a lot of the work I really want to do in the space is working with, um, QT BIPOC people. So like the groups that kind of get left behind, um, or I don't want to say left, get left behind, but you know, those ones that like, you know, we have to really work out intersectional feminism, like for, you know, so yeah, like it's kind of all over the show kind of thing. I mean, I can do loads of stuff. Like I can teach you how to live cyclically. So like align your food and your exercise and your work and all this kind of stuff to your menstrual cycle I can teach you about ancestry you know there's like so much in it but it basically is what any person wants to work on um effectively if that kind of sums it up
0: we're both (laughs) like like, we're sitting with like transfix like this sounds so exciting what
2: you know what's so like no I was just gonna say Well, by the way, we, I have kind of an adjacent question and we usually give them a heads up on the question. So apologies if I'm blindsiding you, but I was just sort of thinking about it. Like, I feel like somebody who doesn't have a menstrual cycle might say, well, what is there to talk about? You bleed once a month moving on, you know what I mean? Um, And I think it's so cool to give a voice to something that sort of hasn't had one. Like you are saying, what are some of the sort of Like topics that come up when you're talking to people about menstrual cycle? Because I know for me, it brings up stuff about body image. It brings up stuff about mental health. It brings up stuff about fertility and desire to have or not have children. I mean, what are, sorry if that's a blindside. I'm just sort of curious what things are that come up related, like adjacent topics kind of, Yeah. or not even adjacent. I don't know.
1: I mean, like it definitely raises a lot of questions for people. And I think one of the most common question is, is that like it almost like the most common thing that I get when I talk to people is they're just like, why was I never told that in school? Mm. Or why have I got to X amount of age and I don't know that? Um, an interesting thing was I was home back in New Zealand and I was telling my grandma and her friend um, what oh. I was doing. <laughs> and and they, they were like,
2: laughed. what? <laughs> yeah, because
1: they're like obviously like seniors and they laughed and she was like, oh, and what have you got to tell us about it? We, we haven't had a period for years and I was like, <laughs> Well, actually loads of stuff I was like you still have like peaks and troughs even though you've gone through menopause like you still are a oh. cyclical being you know like it's like we we move with the earth we move with like the cycles of the world um you know we have it we live every day on a twenty four hour cycle. we live on a monthly cycle, a yearly cycle, and so I think some of the interesting stuff is that like people who don't think this is applicable to them i e if they do not bleed or they haven't started bleeding yet or maybe they're um, hormonal contraceptive like it it does matter, you know, and I think for the most part, like the stuff that comes up, even like the comments that I get from men. Um, or people identifying as men is that like, yeah, they they're a little bit like, Wow, there's so much information yeah. there, but like obviously, it's not commonly talked about, you know, yeah. so
0: it, it does raise a lot of questions,
2: yeah, you know? that's awesome. Louisa, what were you gonna say?
0: No, I mean, that's just i'm I'm really curious as to kind of especially because you know obviously this is a conversation that's kind of more traditionally geared towards women, right? And when I say women, I mean in like uh cis women um but i wonder kind of you you mentioned that part of your support is really aiming to like help queer and trans people with that stuff so how do you kind of navigate those and again like sorry for asking you all of these like off the off the list of questions questions um but it's such an interesting topic so how do you kind of help support people who might not either be having periods or identifying with the gender that has a period Yeah, so that one's still a real work
1: in progress because obviously as someone who doesn't
0: identify
1: um, as queer and trans, I don't want to, like, be just making stuff up. And so I'm actually in the process of trying to find people to actually help work with me to create this program because I think that's the only way that it can be created for like that space you know um and it's not just like you know being sort of patronized talked to by this like you know like straight person who's just like this is you know um so like for me like I'm really looking to get like community involvement on this one so I think I'm going to be releasing like a range of programs that is going to be tailored for different people and then also programs where the conversation can be had because um you know even just in the course that I do like the narrative that still gets used is a lot is geared a lot around women and it's like well not all women bleed you know and it's just you know and um It's just – and that's the thing. It's like not all women bleed and not all people who bleed are women is the kind of common – you know, that's why we use this phrase like menstruator now because it's like we have to open up the space because, you know, first, second, third wave feminism is like has been very still geared towards, you know, like just the – cis female and it doesn't it doesn't work and menstruation is a thing that occurs no matter what um and so part of it is yeah like having to sort of navigate the space as well especially for trans people where um you know it's where the bleeding is still like an issue or issue is not the word maybe like a challenge is the word that I want to use like a dysphoric
0: experience
1: yeah exactly Yeah. yeah
0: Ah, so exciting and, like, so cool that, you know, that you're really looking to kind of build something from a community aspect. Ooh, I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for you. Yes. (laughs) Um, So how did you discover this was your calling? Um, Well,
1: it's so funny because this has just been a thing that's kind of followed me over the last few years, and I've tried to actually shirk this kind of, you know, calling as, you know, for want of a better word, you know, like, I have... I tried to just, I was like, no, no, I just want to just keep working in, in business and doing what I was doing. You know, like, even though I was like super miserable. <laughs> like, yeah, like, where am I going with this? Um, but so basically, long story short, um, in 2000, in sort of, end of 2016 I got involved um with a charity in Sydney that it was like a grassroots movement um run by some friends where they started giving out they were giving out sanitary items to homeless women and I had just sort of like like crawled my way through this like finishing off this bachelor's that had taken me like forever and I was going to go into business and then I kind of knew just on some level that that wasn't for me um so I just decided I would just kind of you know, just skirt around and see what I could find. And so, yeah, I got involved with this work and then I realised, like I started seeing, I was like, this makes me feel really good. And just learning about the, seeing the injustices and learning about the injustices of, of period poverty, you know, was really eye-opening for me. And – um you know, I was I got, like, really involved in the rough period. We, co- we brought that into um, Foundation, uh, incorporated that charity in 2017. Um, so it became, like, a legal registered charity, and it was kind of trickling along and doing its thing. And then through a series of unfortunate events, like bushfires and COVID and whatnot, it kind of had to sort of cease being for now. Mm. Um, but, man, like, what really came to me was that, you know, if you want to get funding, if you want to do anything, you have to do research, right? So you've got to go through and research and say to people, all right, this is why um, we want money for this particular cause. And I started noticing that even when you're Googling and looking for research and I'm like, you know, I know how to use Google Scholar. So I'm like, there, like clapping <laughs> in and there was just no research. Wow. So you're just like, well, how am I supposed to justify this thing? How am I supposed to like, you know, how am I supposed to get people to give us money for this thing? And um, so as I moved through, what I started realising as well was like, yes, there's a lack of uh, research, but it just seems that there's also a huge lack of education around this whole Mm. topic. And I started reflecting on my own experience around like menstruation and what I was told and stuff. And um, yeah, so just fast forward into a couple of years, it was like in 2020, I think for the first time in my life, I'd had enough time to slow down and enough time to stop and think, you know, um, and tap into my intuition because before it was just move on to the next thing, move on to the next thing, move on to the next thing um, in life. And I had so much spare time on my hands to, like, meditate and I don't know. And it's just been this thing that, like, over that course of time, people always used to ask me questions about periods. So I would go home and do my own research. I'm finding things out Mm -hmm. and then I'm practising things on my own and – yeah and so then it was a comment was just made you know someone said to me like you know you should look at becoming like a period coach and I was like oh, 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 doesn't exist
2: and then I was like
1: doesn't <laughs> <Actually>. exist <laughs> <laughs> and um, there were people out there doing it but there was no courses and slowly things just started coming to me like I found sort of different people author, book authors and different little short courses and things but yeah like I just kind of knew that there was that this menstrual cycle path is just, it's just, I don't know, it's just following me around. And I was like, okay, let's just tap into it and see what happens. Um, there was a time like in 2020 where I was just really like, no, nah, I've just got to keep doing my corporate job. And like, I decided I would close the book on all things menstrual cycle. And then within the space of like 48 hours, two different people from different regions of the world sent me random stuff about period poverty. So I got like a message from a friend who was in Oslo sending me this giant mural that was on a wall in Oslo, like talking about... No, it was um, an advert about period poverty in in Oslo. And um, then another friend was in Belfast and she sent me this giant mural. And I was like... (laughs) okay this is like this is a sign is it, all I'm sorry is it to interrupt
0: go? but who uh, for those who might not be aware like can you just articulate a little bit more deeply what period poverty is for those who might not know oh yes okay sure yeah so um period poverty
1: and this is what um the charity that um we had in Sydney was about is this is called the rough period the rough period yeah Yeah. sorry forget about that I get real carried away um so yeah like (laughs) love your enthusiasm (laughs) (laughs) period poverty is effectively um some would class it as just like um unequal access to sanitary items so people who can't get Like, afford sanitary items on a regular basis um, due to like income levels or whatnot. But, sort of, I believe that it stems away further than that. I also believe period poverty is a lack of education, personal knowledge, Mm -hmm. um, lack of access to hygiene, hygiene products, um, and which creates sort of a larger problem. So, um, I think period poverty was really brought into the mainstream around 2015, 2016, although it has obviously been a problem for far longer. But now <laughs> literally, you'll see, since <laughs> <laughs> literally since the beginning of time. Literally since the beginning of time. So, yeah, like now you'll see there's numerous groups and charities around, and um, finally they've actually put period poverty on like a UN agenda. Um, but it's like they're still looking more at like, interventions for menstrual cycle hygiene management like sanitary items and access to clean facilities so yeah i hope that sort of definition sort of made sense
2: that's super interesting because i you know something else that came up as you were saying that i remember seeing that movie um it's a documentary i think it was called period end of sentence maybe and it was about have you seen that it's about uh the young girls in india who don't have access um to you know education or sanitary items and I think almost like an element of period poverty might also be able to be like a lack of education and like a lack of even ability to have a conversation because of a degree of shame around it do you know what I mean like a lack of even like being in a culture that is okay with having it be something that's discussed or out in the open or because um, I remember that being an issue that kind of came up in here is it was like a taboo sort of subject, mm. even though like how taboo it, it's crazy that it's taboo when it's like the the reason we're all here, you know Literally. what I mean? I'm like, how is it crazy that, or how crazy is it that it's not like that it has this level of dirtiness or shame to it in certain conversations, certain cultures, whatever? So
0: yeah, that's
2: yeah that made that came up for me as you were saying that it's so interesting about period poverty.
1: Yeah, and that's something that I'm actually studying at the moment as well. Is like because the taboo and the shame has so much to do with it as well. And believe you me, they exist. That that taboo and shame is really prevalent still in like our like Western, um, for little bunny ears, um, society. (laughs) Um, but it just looks a
0: little bit different, which I can explain a little bit more about later. Yeah. Awesome. Like you kind of mentioned what your journey was to this as a vocation with the rough period and like kind of how your like your own experience informed this. Um, In show notes, you mentioned that a lot of parts of the feminine reproductive system are named after the dudes who discovered them, quote unquote, discovered. um, (laughs) Gross on this note. Can you talk to us about what it means to decolonize reproductive health?
1: Yes, and this is definitely, like, still a work in progress Um, for me, even trying to get the right definition, but effectively, like, this is what I'm trying to do my PhD on, so I did have to write down a few notes just so that I make sure that I'm, like, on the money with this one. We love notes. (laughs) Yeah, I have to. I'm a scholar. Awesome. You're a scholar. All right, (laughs) So, so... when we're talking about decolonizing, obviously, we we know that there's been so much colonial legacy um, throughout the world through sort of, you know, people coming into other people's countries and completely, you know, rape and pillage and all of that stuff. So, um, I think it's important for us to make a distinction about, like, de- decolonizing and diversifying. So... Um, diversifying is sort of um, about inclusivity. It's about diversity in terms of looking at race, age, sex, etc., in the hope in a hope that we can kind of solve and fix inequality problems. Um, so diversity is actually sort of, as I see it, as a component of decolonizing in a way. So it's sort of like you know we have like we have like diversity and inclusion managers at works and things like that about trying to you know make a workplace more inclusive, but we don't have anything about decolonizing a workplace. Um, if that makes sense. So decolonizing um, is it's a way deeper issue, it sort of asks us to look at the knowledge and where our knowledge has come from. It asks us to look at our systems and how those systems have been implemented um, and what are the purpose of those, like, systems and things like that. So it's sort of like, yeah, like, you know, why do we still sort of stick to things that are upholding a colonial legacy? Um, Or, like, you know, just for example, like, there was in South Africa a movement called um, Rhodes Must Fall. And it was about taking down the um, statue of um, Rhodes, who also created that Rhodes scholarship. And and Mm. it's really known around the world. And it's like, this dude was like a serial, like part of like the colonial movement, you know? And it's like, they've got statues. And we see that now that all around the world, these like statues are getting torn down of these like dead white dudes, because it's like, no, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do that. Um, and one of my kind of major things that I'm looking at is, um, and I'll just kind of tell the story. Cause I think it's really pertinent, especially for people like in the U S so there's like this guy, um, in the U uh, he was th- called the, again, I'm doing the bunny is the father of gynecology, oh. <laughs> right? <Okay. laughs> and, um, his name uh, was J. Marion Sims. Um, and so this man's like literally, um, he was just, he was, he hardly had a medical degree, but basically, what he started doing was all these experiments. Um, and he was primarily, as well, a doctor that was taken onto a plantation. So he would deal with all of the people who were enslaved on the plantations and tend to them. And that's how he kind of earned money. And uh, one of his biggest things was that he had to help a black woman. Um, and he was the guy who created the speculum. So he created the first modern speculum. And um, this guy. Guy like then when he realized he 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 was um I think the thing that he solved was vaginal fistulas um, which I think are these like little growth things um mm. and anyway so he solved that problem for for them um and then he kind of got a bit of status from that so then what he started doing was all these experiments but the people that he was doing these gynecological spir- gynecological
0: Gynecological? gynecological mm. experiments. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, a lot of experiments <laughs> on um, were black women, um, black women that were on plantations, wow. obviously, black women who were enslaved. enslaved. Um, and so it's like, okay, cool. Like, so we can tell that story. And there were statues of this man around the world, <laughs> right? And um, everyone hailed him as a hero. And it's like, what? Because he did an aneetatized like, experiments on human beings like you know um so the you know there's like now a big movement that's talking about like how do we like change that narrative from the father of gynecology to the mothers of gynecology Mm -hmm. and the women's names that annika betsy and lucy and it's like you know they have now been sort of commonly discussed and is like these you know the mothers of gynecology because without them we would not you know we would not have what we have today and the discipline was built you know through their pain and suffering and so that's so of, those are the names that started interrupt those are the names of the women who on whom he was experimenting yeah so they oh. were three that were really um documented and actually like mm. as part of a like honor to those women that's actually what i'm naming my menstrual cycle um programs after so oh. like because yeah as an african mixed-race african-american woman like you know for me i'm like these are my ancestors you know like these are the people that you know, they, they, they got us to where we are today. And, you know, and it's just, so this is it. It's like about looking at, like, if we're in medicine, are we talking about that? Is that story told like when people are studying gynecology, do they talk about J. Marion Sims as a hero or do they talk about him as, you know, like this guy who, you know, just did these botched experiments on, on enslaved people with no anesthetic. And so, yeah, so that was a little bit, that's just a little bit of trying to pull that into perspective. So, The next part is, like, okay, cool, so what is it that we have been continually told in our lifetimes that may not be a narrative that we need to uphold today? Um, And how do we look at breaking these things down? Um, And, you know, part of, like, what I said about the parts of the female body, like, or the, you know, the female reproductive organs is that, yeah, like, these, like, sort of 17th, 16th, 18th century anatomists, like, went through and found them and labeled them after themselves. And that doesn't happen in other parts of the body. You know, yeah. like my arm is not like the parts of my arm is not named after like this guy that like found it, but for some reason on the woman's <laughs> body, they think they can just be like sweet. Like my I don't even want to like the G-spot, I like <laughs> it always like when I found this out, I was like, oh my God. So it is not like code for the great spot or the good spot or the God spot. It literally means the Graffenberg spot. <laughs> and it was named after some dude whose surname was Graffenberg. Oh,
0: yeah. And everyone was like, <laughs> no, well, that's like, not sexy. Make it
1: stop. <laughs> it's not sexy. Like, literally. So it's kind of like, all right, sweet. So. We, we've got this like concept and it's also like, so this man has named this, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure there would have been uh, quite a few other women who would have found that before <laughs> him <laughs> But, like, as but we weren't we,
0: allowed to go to medical school,
1: <laughs> yeah, we just didn't lay claims to it because we don't need to. Um, oh so, yeah, there's like loads of talk in this kind of world about like reframing how we're using that G spot word and, you know, calling it things like the O spot and, like, just, you know, just changing the narrative a little bit. So, Yeah, like, for me, like, I'm really working to look at what it means to decolonize menstruation. So it is still a work in progress. And it's pretty much what I want to move into, like, doctoral studies for because, yeah, like, can we truly be liberated if, like, you know, the parts of my body is named after men or even the very practices that we use to manage menstruation are super masculine and that we live in a society where there's so much taboo, where they refuse, not refuse, but, like, the medical science isn't keeping up, you know, and where, like, a cure-all fix seems to be hormonal contraceptive. And it's like, who does that work for? Does that work for me or does that work for the doctor who's prescribing it? You know, like, how do we, you know yeah so I hope that does that answer the question oh my god oh, you just like
0: <laughs> opened up a box of snakes <laughs> that we are excited to name <laughs> <Yes>. after ourselves <laughs> um,
2: that is so no that was incredible and uh what how what era was this Grafenberg guy in do you know
1: oh um or he might have been like 17th hang on let me have a look he might have been oh. like 17th century um oh my god because a lot of that was it was when um, anatomy was in its heyday as a discipline um uh, and that I, was
2: that's shocking to me too i'm like still getting over that
0: well it's know, hilarious I I it too because we're everyone. still like <laughs> we're still like this grafenberg spot does it really exist <laughs> oh my god oh grafenberg wasn't even uh
1: graffenberg well i don't even think he was that he wasn't even that old 1881 to 1820 yeah. to 1820 no wait that's not right 1881 to 1920 sorry oh he, was like 30? Well, I'm <laughs> judge, he was like 30 i'm reading this all <laughs> wrong i'm looking on wikipedia as we speak oh um, yeah, oh my yeah revealing sources. um he also created the iud
2: oh wow yeah i don't know how how I feel, I picture this guy walking into a party and be like, being like you know G-spot? G-Spot's named after me.
1: Oh, <laughs> do you know what? I actually think there was a show made after him. Really? And it has like, yes, I, but I think it's like Clive Owen in it or something, but it's like this kind of popularized, they started doing all these sex studies and they were the first of their kind to be doing these studies, um, figuring wow. out like the uh, female orgasm and stuff. And they, I think it only got two seasons. Is that the Nick? The Nick! I think I that, like the Nick. I think that's isn't, it. Thick. Isn't that, that much sex? No, no, no. No, that's no but okay, no, it's a different one. Respect. It's a different one. It's
2: moment. a good show though. Um, it is a good show. Great
1: soundtrack. Not Clive <laughs> Owen. No, I know that's the Nick. So this other one is totally not that. And it's got um what is that girl that plays Janice Ian's in Mean Girls? Um anyway. Rachel
2: McAdams?
1: No. <laughs> okay. Let's go off topic.
2: I don't know um, the characters in Mean Girls, but I know a couple. That's yeah,
0: just naming stars. Well, yes. I will, I will send you the link. I'll find it. I'll send it to yes. you. Yes. Find uh, the link in show notes. Just yeah. kidding. If you've ever read our show notes, you know that they're absolutely useless. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, my god. So, so, so bringing it back to you a little bit, how has your understanding of your own cycle allowed you to deepen your experience of embodiment or self-love in this area?
1: Yeah, wow. I mean, that is such a big question But I was looking at that. You know, um, it's been a really, really big journey, I think, Um you know, like my first experience around menstruation was like super painful because like Mm -hmm. I was at my grandma's house when I got my period and I just kind of had no idea what was going on, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, and then it was just, I was never really given my own menstrual cycle education. I feel like I wasn't given it in school either. And so you just kind of go about life with this thing that happens to you 12 times a year. Um, And, you know, and you just have to kind of deal with it. And I used to hate it. I hated it so much. I hated getting my period. I thought it was so shameful, you know, just being at school and being like, Oh, I need to go to the bathroom. And someone will be like, I'll come with you. And you're like, Oh, cause you don't want them to hear them. You like unwrapping your sanitary pad oh. or whatever, you know, or being around boys or not being able to go swimming. Cause you've got your period, you know, just all of that stuff. And I hated it so much. And, um, yeah, I got on contraceptive when I was 16 because, like, yeah, and I felt like I had some power back then because I could, like, control my menstrual cycle, like, and not mm-hmm. take those little sugar pills. Um, And, yeah, I just – oh, it just was – for me, it had never been a pleasant journey. But on the flip side of that, like, there had always been – there was always a part of me that was, like, quite fascinated with menstrual blood. Like, I always found it, like, quite interesting. And, like, I was just, like, I would always, like, look at it or, like, you know, whatever, which is actually quite – a good thing to do actually like when you're especially in your early sort of menstruation is just like understanding it and seeing it and yeah I always found it really interesting um but I'm also someone that grew up in a single parent household like it was my mom and my sister and I and my mom did not have a lot of money so like it was also a very painful time to have to go through that of like if we were all bleeding at the same time and like you know, like, if there was going to be, like, enough money for us to get in on our sanitary items and get all of them and, you know, even the shame around, like, what brand you're using. I don't know yeah. if you guys had that in the States, but, man, like, in New Zealand, it was, like, if you weren't using, like, Libra, you were a loser. Like, you know, and it was just, like, oh, no, I can't have, like, supermarket brand, like, sanitary pads. And all that's the difference is that plastic around the outside. Um but yeah, like as I got older um, and I started finding who I, was, who I was like as a person, like I started like releasing a lot of that shame around it. And the rough period was a really big journey because I was like, how can I be out here advocating for period poverty when I'm like really closeting this like mm. disgust for my own, Well, not disgust, but this like,
0: no, you know, obviously.
1: this fear I have for my own, of my own body. And um, yeah, like I decided um, in 2018, um to get my arm implant contraceptive taken out because I was experiencing like about three weeks of PMS um versus Mm -hmm. one week of like normality um and like I went and saw doctors and naturopaths and they were like that's just not normal like you have to get this taken out and so um it was also very early in sobriety as well, so I was just like, you know, and um, uh, yeah. So like, I got it taken out, and like the first thing that happened was like three months later, I got my first period, and it was just this black blob of like old blood, and I was huh. just like, whoa, like what has happened? Like it was just a demon, yeah, literally a demon. It was literally, like, my body expelling old, old, old parts of myself that was, like, not going to tolerate that anymore, you know, and, um, yeah, and so then I was, like, right, this is it, like, this was my really first big move of, like, self-care, I think, to just be, like, I will stop at nothing to get this period healthy again, Mm. and I was taking lotions and potions and pills Mm -hmm. and vitamins and da-da-da-da, exercise and changing my diet, and I did everything and um, yeah, like it took a while, but like eventually it came back to normal and now I experience no PMS basically. I get a bit tired and that's normal, but like from the sore breast to the painful cramps, you know, and mm-hmm. I did that, you know, like I did that with my body and um, because I can care, I care enough about myself today. And then, um, you know, that was one of the huge things that sort of woke me up to like, yeah, like just who we can, who I can be, like, if I am just loving and caring for myself. And I think the cycle which is the very thing that is like our essence as XX chromosome people. I don't know if that's like a thing, but, <laughs> um, you know, like, it's just like, if people who bleed, it's like, yeah, like this is, you know, this is my like thing that I have to like, be able to look, like look after because it's such an integral part of me. Yeah. And, um, I think one of the biggest revelations that I had and this probably was only like it could have might have been yeah like last year in 2020 when I was really looking at like what does it mean to like start promoting like menstrual cycle love was just like how can I really work towards self-love if I have been hiding or hating or despising this part of myself for so long you know and so many women I talk to is just like I hate my period it's the worst like fuck that time of the month. And it's just like, you know, I want to like, you know, claw my eyes out, you know, and, you know, I just want to get rid of it. And it's like, all the talk that I hear is so negative. And when I say to someone, oh, I love getting my period, they're literally just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, it's powerful. It makes me feel like so alive, you know? Um, and Yeah, and so it's, like, how can we really truly practice self-love if, you know, once a month I'm sitting there going, I fucking hate my body, I fucking hate it, you know, Um, if that sort of – if that makes sense, you know. And um, so that's what I've really been trying to work on and creating as well, like, with my menstrual cycle program It's like, you know, this is – journey of self-love you know this is a journey of change and yeah like even my narrative through doing this like menstrual cycle coaching course like so much has changed for me as well like in terms of like you know even who I thought I was as that menstrual cycle person I'm like whoa there's so much to learn (laughs) you know so that's
0: so exciting I mean also I think you know you mentioned that it's important information for people in recovery and it's as you were talking i was thinking about like how much has changed since like being in early recovery because it felt like that was kind of a re puberty because i think mm. i had stopped getting my period when i was mm-hmm. using and then again when i was like stopping eating <laughs> like mm. You know that all that stuff like a lot of stuff that we touch on in this show specifically around recovery in our bodies and our relationship with our bodies and our intuition and like eating disorder stuff like all that is so linked like the the period is essentially like the canary in the coal mine mm-hmm. that like lets us know that something is like, <laughs> not okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. For You're sure. Sure. yeah. And oh, it is yeah. like it literally is
1: your body's like first signal that something isn't right, you know, and I have women say this to me all the time. Like I haven't had my period for three months and I'm like, what's changed in your lifestyle? Oh, well, you know, I've been going to the gym all the time. Oh, OK, cool. So you're exercising nonstop. Right. Well, that's huge. Like that. will That can make your period stop. You know, or, like, there's so many things that can, you know, that can trigger it. And, like, the cycle and the PMS and the cycle of science is literally just our body saying, hang on, there's an imbalance in the body. And we've got to then, like, work on figuring out what that is, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Totally. Or even just the, like, like you were talking about instead of kind of being like re- resenting this, this time when like, it feels like hormones are in flux and everything feels uncomfortable and like, <laughs> I, like don't want to be in public and don't want to connect with anybody. Like, is it how to kind of embrace a moment of in- introversion or how to kind of like use the hypersensitivity I have during that time to like, actually it, address things that need addressing as opposed to being like oh I'm just on my period don't talk to me me." yeah I mean I love
2: I love all this because you know I feel like I've gained an appreciation for a period too and kind of like instead of something that you kind of just needs to be shoved away and and there's an element of like I was thinking about it related to recovery like I don't even know if I'm going to be able to phrase this right but um, there's something about like having your period where you feel like, oh, everything's working, like it's supposed to be mm. working. And like when I came into recovery, I there was such a disconnection between myself and my body. like mm. like whatever me was felt like an entirely separate thing from what my body was, which felt like an entirely mm. separate thing from what my spirit was, which felt like every part of me felt fragmented. And so there's some element of like when you're bleeding and you're like, like you feel like everything's kind of in step and in rhythm in a way that, you know, I have like, (laughs) I was just thinking about, I have the same thing like where, you know, when you eat a certain food and then like you see it come out a certain way, you're like, oh my God, my body is actually like taking things, processing them, working as it's supposed to like, there's like this element of like, wow, it's all connected. Whereas when you, when I came in, I felt like everything was disconnected. So I think like having this appreciation for that is like a, an interesting step to take as a woman in recovery if Mm -hmm. that made any sense yeah
1: that that makes so much sense (laughs) i also think that like as a society we are taught to be disconnected from our periods and our menstrual cycle like hey take this sugar pill so you don't get your period hey get an iud so you don't get your period or like you know make it cute
2: and pretty and don't not messy you know yeah,
1: like that's the very nature of a tampon we put tampons in and like we forget we're bleeding you know, yes. and then we're just trucking along. And who brought the modern tampon into circulation? Our man. Yes, <laughs> <Shocking>. <laughs> Also, was created by many, many women before him, but he capitalized on it in 1931.
0: <laughs> so. I love you so much, Amber. <laughs> I just say yes. That. You're just like, yes. This motherfucker. <laughs> um, I mean, but no, it's funny that you say that. Like, I remember being in rehab. After not having a period for some time or just being like super irregular and thinking that I was having a miscarriage because A, I hadn't had a period in so long and B, I was in so much pain from having cramps Mm -hmm. because I was finally like somewhere that my body was allowed to like chill and rest that I was like, I'm going to not have a baby that I didn't want. I didn't know I was scary. I was just having a period for the first time in like fucking six months. (laughs) I was like but it was such a sign like Lily was saying like a return to kind of like any like finally your body feels safe enough to bleed yes
1: and that is like I love what you just said there because that is so much like that that little phrase is so important that like safety and your body needing to know that it's safe to perform that function is so important like like I mean the body is amazing like it when we have a period, like, our body shuts off, like, other parts, other functions, like, like, performance, um, if that makes sense. So, for example, like, our digestion slows down at the time of, um menstruation because the body saying it's directing all its energy to the uterus to say like mm-hmm. all right let's get this show on the road you know <laughs> and so our body starts so I don't know if anyone notices this but when you start bleeding you might not feel hungry or like you might feel like quite tired when you eat because like your digestive system is going super slow um, other parts of your body are going quite slow because the show is down in the uterus and they're like let's mm-hmm. do it um, And so when your body doesn't feel safe, it won't perform these functions. It will just shut off. So if it's in a caloric deficit, um, if it's been overworked, if it's like you're in high stress because you're someone that works a really high-stress job, um, if you're flying around the world all the time, um, you know, like all of these things impact us. And if the body doesn't think that it's safe, i.e., yeah, we're out drinking and using, like whatever it's like, then the body just will stop doing that function It'll be like, nope, we don't have enough resources. We can't do that. Sorry. Not today.
2: Yeah.
0: So wise.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: Oh, go ahead.
0: Um, so obviously this show is called Sober Sex. So what can you tell us about period sex and the taboo that often surrounds it?
1: Oh, yes, that old
0: thing. (laughs) Um,
1: (laughs) Man, like, period sex is something I've actually come to learn a lot more about. And I think the taboo is obviously still so strong. I think it's getting better um, as we sort of move into this age of the period. You know, like, I was laughing because, like, 2015 was dubbed, like, the year of the period we're like why yeah <laughs> like so it's basically like this is the year that people like that the, you know the periods caught mainstream attention oh okay, okay like so was, yeah like you know, is,
2: the year of the period is like 3000 BC but okay <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah so totally um but yeah so with period sex, like I think it's it's so down to personal preference um I think You know you get couples who absolutely love it you get singles who love it you get people who hate it people who can't tolerate the mess and I think it's Mm. such a personal journey for every single person I think like my I think it's really sad like you know one of my first experiences around sex and bleeding was like so shameful and it was like because I was like 15 and accidentally like well I I was bleeding and then like engaged in some sexual activity and then it was just that finger pointing and like all Mm. of that stuff and you're like oh oh, my gosh, like, get over it, you know. Um, And so there's so much part on both. Like, in society, we have so much work to do around this area, and that's why a lot of the work that I really am interested in doing as well is about understanding the, like, masculinities within the menstrual cycle taboo is, like, how are these narratives being perpetuated by um, the opposite sex? Um, You know, and – but, yeah, like, period sex is, like – one thing that I was learning about um, from a guest teacher on our menstrual cycle course, because um, I don't want to claim this amazing information as my own, um, is that we also need to look at what we're defining as sex, right? Mm-hmm. Because commonly this idea of period sex and if it's messy or dirty or whatever is commonly talking about hetero sort of penetrative PID sex.
0: intercourse, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's also like, well, it doesn't have to be that. It's like, I can be on my period and like still get oral or like we could have sex in the shower or use a toy or, you know, I think there's so much like narrative shifting that needs to happen um, around this topic, you know, Um, and there's so many different ways that we can engage and, um, you know, period sex can be way more pleasurable because obviously you've got like free lube. (laughs) effectively I um,
2: was about to say for me I'm gonna just go out on a limb here and I'm gonna start put myself out there I love it I think it's juicy I think it's wonderful
0: thank you period
2: sex that's thank my, that's my
0: I think it's a good like litmus test of your partner like <laughs> oh yes How <laughs>
2: are, they, are oh. they fucking down <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no I need the downest down like let's go for it like and the juice I mean and I'm like dude I'm like pretty I don't know about you guys but when I'm on my period I'm like feeling pretty sexual, Mm. which is also kind of cool because I feel like I'm in my woman moment. I'm Mm. in my womanhood. I'm just like, you know?
1: Yeah. And that's also like, we have hormonal changes that happen at that time as well. A lot of the time in menstruation, they sort of plateau out, but we do have this dip. So it's sort of like, yeah, because I feel that too. I'm like, I feel like this kind of really sensual power where I'm like, yes, you know? And um, like also in like ovulation time as well, like sometimes I've had like, times in ovulation where I could actually just be like any person could walk in the door, (laughs) like any person, (laughs) like, you know, and like, you're like, what is my body? Like, you know, like those biological, that biological overriding, you know, that heart um, feral. (laughs) Yeah any person um and yeah and I think like the thing is like we can be like more horny in that time like we can find sex more pleasurable in that time but on the flip side of that that's not everyone's experience and that's totally okay so people feel really tender and they can't sort of they don't want to engage in that because they're like oof, just let me rest my uterus for a while and like Mm. all of this like you know or people that might have like conditions like PCOS or endometriosis you know um And it's so fine. Um, And I think we have to be careful around this narrative because things that I've seen is people hardcore pushing period sex. Like, if you're not having sex on your period, you're, like, not a feminist, you know? And it's, like, that's so not the case either.
2: Totally. Totally.
1: And also, like, yeah, I guess, like, my kind of insight is like, if it feels good, go for it. Like, you know, but do it because yeah. you want to, like, not because you've got a partner that's pressuring you to say, like, let's have sex. And you're like, oh, but I'm on my period. And they're like, well, I don't care. And you're like, <laughs> but my
0: fucking body. Maybe cares. I
2: do. And like, <laughs> yeah. I know.
0: You know, but I'm and, tired and I don't want to clean those sheets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, literally, like, um
1: and yeah like i mean there's so many different like views and that's why it's kind of like i think everyone just needs to be comfortable with the choices that they're making and make sure they are I that love
2: doing that. you know. Yeah, just honoring whatever that experience is for each person. It's so true cuz yeah, like the tenderness and all that that's real too and just like whatever honoring whatever your feeling is about that moment. I think it's just the beautiful message of that, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm. I love it. Well, so now about you, what were some of the first messages that you received around sex and and sexuality?
1: Yeah. um, Well, my journey, this has been like a super, and again, like this menstrual cycle journey is something that's opened me up so much more around like just my body and sex and all that kind of stuff. But effectively, like I was raised for the first sort of few years of my child life as a Jehovah's Witness. So like right. sex was just like that was not talked about. And in fact I do believe my grandmother used to say the words fornication, like which just made it sound even more biblical. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. just like, so
2: biblical. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um and Aww. then also when I was a child I was also exposed to sexual violence like not to me um but there was sexual sexual violence is as a, as a story of my childhood and it's not my story so I don't care to to share it but you know it's um it's definitely something that like changed my narrative especially about men
2: mm-hmm. and
1: um I grew up thinking there was a lot of fear and obviously as sex wasn't commonly discussed you're kind of just like well like, what is it? So, you know, my first sexual experience, obviously, like, I was drunk um, because that's, you know, when alcohol came into my life, I felt like I could be liberated from all this, like, swirling thoughts of stuff going around in my head, you know? Yeah. I hardly even wanted to kiss any boys, let alone, like, you know, because I had this message of, like, if you do all the stuff outside of marriage, like, you were literally not going to be resurrected. Like, that mm. was the message that I got as a child, you know? Mm. Like, must be good, cannot be bad. Um And so, like, for me, it's been this really, like, interesting journey. So, like, my first year, my first sexual experience, I was drunk. I would classify that now as non-consensual, which, again, is something I only figured out during, like, you know, having enough, like, you know, soundness of mind to understand, like, my sexual conduct over the years. Um, and you know, I was like really, really afraid of men for quite a long time. And I was quite afraid of sex. So the only way I could really engage was like when I was drunk, because also it's like I did it for the wrong reasons. I didn't do it because like, I found it like pleasurable or whatever. I did it because I felt that's what I needed to do to appease certain people, you know? And, um, yeah, like, if I could go back and change it now, like, sure, but I mean, I can't, so it's just like, I have peace with that story, you know, and I just try now to really move forward and look at things in a different way and make sure I honour myself, and um, it's been a really, like, long journey, and I think, yeah, like it's only since being a sober person that I've been able to like fully experience that, you know, um, and to experience like the pleasure of sex, like, you know, the sorrows of it, the awkwardness of it. Like sometimes I just like love, oh, I just like, sometimes I just love like if I have like a date or whatever and you end up sleeping with someone you <laughs> can just going and telling like the story the next day, like of just, you know, like just having that experience and being able to laugh with it, like, you know, yeah. and being... able to find it exciting and not terrifying um, has been so massive for me Um, and still like I think I have a lot to learn when it comes to sex like especially around communication um, you know and maybe I'm someone who really enjoys the connectivity within sex like and having like an actual like intimate connection with someone as opposed to just like how many moves can we bust out in this like you know limited amount of space and yeah. um, I've had partners who that's really worked with. I've had partners who that hasn't worked with, um, you know, uh, and it's just every journey is so different. And I think one thing that I'm learning is to be, like, I don't want to say, like, adaptable, but, like, you know, considerate um, a lot more of other people and their experience, but then making sure that I'm not doing something for the sake of, appeasing another person has is, is been a really big part of my journey I think
0: mm. totally that's beautiful and I think th- you know that's come up a lot on this show especially kind of I think between Lily and I this idea mm-hmm. of like what does it look like to own one's own needs and desires and also to not kind of cave because it's too hard to articulate them mm. um, absolutely and so how, like, what made eventually made you want to get sober? Because you mentioned your sobriety. So, yeah,
1: like, I got, for me, it happened, like, because it was time. I was absolutely miserable. Um, I was depressed. Um, the doctors had diagnosed me with, like, bipolar and, like, mood disorders because I just was so volatile. And um, that pattern had gone on for such a long time that I kind of got to this point where it just, you know, I was just living to kind of go out and living to drink Mm -hmm. and living to party. And it was just, I was just existing within a world. Like it just all, everything felt fake, you know, like, and I just felt like I was alone in this world. Like I could be at a bar and just feel like I was alone, you know, and just, I just, every, I just felt like I was clawing, like trying to like hold on to something. And, um you know, I stopped drinking and came into sobriety because like off the back of a night that was just, you know, I just got super drunk. I don't remember anything. And I feel like I hurt a lot of people and I was just like absolutely alcohol poisoned the next day and I had to leave work and I was throwing up everywhere. Mm. And I was 27 and I was like, this used to happen to me when I was 14, you know, (laughs) like, and I'm still doing this at 27 and I just, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't cute anymore. And, um, I think it was just that I'd never wanted to be someone who suffered from depression. You know, I grew up in a household of people who had depression and, you know, and had attempted suicide and things like that. And I just was like, I don't ever want to be that person. And that's exactly where I wound up, you know. And I was like, "If, if something does not change now, Like, I don't know where I see myself in the future. Like, I literally couldn't see a future for myself past 30. I was like, I just, I can't see it, you know, like couldn't envision a partner or a job or, you know, any of that stuff. And it kind of frightened me, you know, that I was like, I used to be so ambitious and now I live two minutes away from the pub. Like, you know, I'm not even adventurous where I drink. Oh yeah. man.
0: But Amber, like it means so much to kind of watch you grow into this like radiant force of wonderful goodness in the world yes. that sits before us. Like that's so fucking rad. So I mean, you mentioned you're going back to school and getting a fucking PhD. <laughs> Can you tell us kind of specifically about what you're learning? I mean, it sounds like you're learning a lot about this stuff.
1: Yeah. Cool. And also like just a caveat of what you said, like, I feel like I wouldn't be anywhere I am without you lot you know like so <laughs> instrumental so instrumental to my journey and you know this path of you know finding myself as uh, like a person in this world you know um so yeah at the moment i'm currently um doing my masters in international development and um that is looking at like the world like especially the world of like global poverty Um, And what I'm specifically interested in is understanding menstrual cycle health education in the developing world, or the global south, as they call it. So these are obviously countries that are not considered to be, like, Western countries, although there's so much problems in our own backyard. But, um, you know, we see a lot of human rights violations around this stuff. Like, So I'm working on a research proposal at the moment, um, and it is about, like, women in India who get forced hysterectomies because they get sort of conned into this idea of, like, you know, they'll visit a doctor for, like, menstrual, like, you know, abdominal cramps, and then the doctors will just say to them, yeah, you need to get a hysterectomy, and if you get this loan, you can get this hysterectomy, and then if you do this, then you will be able to work through the season, um, and you won't have to take any days off, you know, because mm-hmm. part of that is, like, you know, we're Capitalist looking at people yeah we're looking yeah. at these people who are so economically you know hard up that they see that as a viable solution and then these women obviously like the women are rural they're not women who are like living in you know sort of more affluent areas they're like rural women who work in sugarcane fields and they're doing grueling you know backbreaking labor and And so they're like, okay, great, I will do that. And then, you know, they're illiterate women. No one explains to them the T's and C's. No one explains to them the aftercare or any of that kind of stuff. And I've watched just so these videos and it's like these women, they're then left with pain for the rest of their lives. You know, it's not as if the problem goes away. And, you know, this is not an isolated Incident, this is happening across the world. There are women who are getting forcibly sterilized. It's happening in IC detention centers in the US. You know, it happens across the world. Like, you know, I think I was reading a statistic that, like, African-American women are, like, 25% more likely to get a hysterectomy than any other, like, racial group in the US, you know, like, because it's just, it's just misinformation, you know. And mm. so part of that is just, yeah, like, looking at, like, how can we how can we solve that problem and what would if we increased education in this area what would the changes look like um and then it's about okay how do we get that education um so it's quite a complex area um I'm still unsure like as well like yeah like where I know it's probably going to spiral off into all kinds of other areas but yeah (laughs) like and then effectively like I wanted the PhD which fingers crossed we'll start, like I can get onto next year will be um, yeah like looking at this sort of same thing but maybe not through the lens of international development maybe through the lens of anthropology or just yeah whichever or whichever field will take me because the, the sort of downside of this is that there are no universities currently offering work in this space like they don't even teach it you know, it's not even really getting taught about. Um, I have to get an external mentor to um, to help me with this stuff because um, there's no one around that can, that can, you know, support it. No universities want to take this on. And this is huh. what it means to decolonize It's like, what <laughs> it's is our, our curriculum? Why are we not talking about it? Because it affects yeah. 50% of the population. Which I think it's like 53 now. <laughs> something like that. Sorry, I'm Crazy. just like... Um,
2: I love your loft. Yeah, we're getting a beautiful
0: tour of Amber's home. (laughs) (laughs) I need my little charger. Awesome. But I mean, it's interesting that you're mentioning all this, especially like as we're kind of observing a crackdown on access to birth control, because it seems like that, especially in the US, because it seems like that stuff is intrinsically linked, like awareness and education around menstrual cycle and awareness and education around contraceptives like seem that they should kind of ideally be taught at the same time and yet like half the population and then the other half the population that is ideally supporting you know at least intellectually (laughs) the the bleeding half is like not having any information around this stuff or access to it which is pretty scary and heartbreaking
1: yeah yeah Yeah,
0: and, like, I read this, like, great
1: meme the other day that it was, like, I shouldn't have a biology – I shouldn't need to have a biology degree to know about my body. And Hmm. it's so true because it's, like, the only people that is, like, privy to this information are, like, doctors and stuff. And it's, like, but why? (laughs) You know? And I think that is it. Like, if – yeah, like, the contraceptive problem – like, the contraceptive um, situation and, like, the abortion stuff is, like – I often just think, like, what would it look like for us if we knew more about the menstrual cycle so that we could actually prevent unwanted pregnancies? And I'm not saying that, like, every pregnancy can be stopped because we know more about our cycle, but, like, I could probably ask, like, a room of 50 women, who knew when they were ovulating and I, I mean I don't know how many of them would actually be able to say yes I can tell you exactly when I'm ovulating you know like we just don't know yeah. about enough we don't know and we're not taught enough about our bodies but like I now know enough about my body to be like for these specific days there will be nothing coming near me that could impregnate mm. me <laughs> like you know and and um, then it's like there's the other times of the like of the cycle where like my body like well yeah like it just doesn't 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 get pregnant I mean it still can get pregnant but like it's not you know high risk um so yeah like it's like kind of like what would the world look like if we actually had this information um would we need as much birth control you know like and that's the other thing is that like people just don't the hormones that we put into our bodies like just change us you know and so there's just there's so many wider ramifications of it
0: well and it's it's interesting that you mentioned that too because it feels like so much of the kind of and and we get into this in the questions in terms of like what is it like to be a black woman in academic spaces but then also like it seems like a lot of healthcare and research is specifically aimed at and done by white dudes. <laughs> so yeah. you have like a race and gender or sex thing happening that feels like even the in, like alternatives to hormonal birth control or IUDs and, and access to information about like cyclical timing are just not available
1: yeah it's pretty fun. and it's like why <laughs> you know who's yeah. profiting from that <laughs> whose agenda is that on You know, like, because it's not coming out of nowhere. If they wanted us to know about cyclical information, they would teach us, you know, (laughs) but they're not. And, yeah, and so that's why it's like, well, you know, this is the time that we need to start, like, reclaiming. And I just, yeah, like, I often just think as well, like, what would the world look like if we were all empowered by our periods and not, like, in fear of them? I think men yes. would be terrified. Like they would be terrified. <laughs> They'd be like, oh no. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> These very I empowered <laughs> and, they know too and much about themselves. Individuals are coming for us.
2: <laughs> well, so Amber, if a listener's curious about some of what you're talking about or they feel like a menstrual coach might be a good way for them to get in touch with their own cycle, you know, what's a good place for them to start?
1: Well, They can – there's loads and loads of um, uh, resources, like, on Instagram. You can follow me on Instagram, and I follow loads of other menstrual cycle coaches and people that are out here doing the work. Um, I'm on a course at the moment with 30 other women who are about to all become certified menstrual cycle coaches. Um, So there is soon hopefully going to be, like, you know, this big, like, mushroom effect of like you know people in the world that like know this information so um you know I'm sort of in this half way making this like Instagram and brand and all this stuff um, so I've got like an education platform called cycle philosophy um could be subject to a name change also has been inactive for a while So <laughs> I'm sort of focusing on the the bigger topics at the moment but um yeah, there's so there's actually quite a lot of re- resources out there. I think it's just about knowing what to look for. So um, you can type in things like cycle coach. You can type in cyclical living into Google, and um, you know, hopefully there's blog posts. Um, there's a lot of good podcasts out there because I think you know the I don't know the day of the blog feels like it's a bit blog posts are hard to read. You know, like <laughs> where's the attention. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, like, sometimes, I, and maybe that's just me, because I, like, I don't know, I need a lot of, like, stimulation to learn, but, um, yeah, like, there is information out there, and, like, you know, I'm always someone in my story who I'm always just posting stuff about the menstrual cycle, like, and there's yeah. a few people floating around TikTok, a few people floating around TikTok. I don't know if anyone's
0: into that fantastic it's yeah. like the tweens educating us with song and dance literally, um, they are
1: dancing their way through period education
0: yeah I mean, however we can get it right
1: yeah like literally
0: I will only pay attention if you're either talking to me while I do the dishes or <laughs> doing a little dance has to be less than two minutes long 30 <laughs> seconds, please. um so occasionally in the rooms of 12-step recovery we like to discuss the idea of a sex ideal or the kind of person that we want to show up as in a sexual or romantic relationship so what does your sex ideal look like today and has it changed over time
1: um I get a lot of like flack for this because it's really long (laughs) um but I long-form podcast yeah like (laughs) I feel like um my the list is long because um I still feel like I have a lot of work to do, you know, and it's an ongoing process. Relationships are so dynamic. And as I move through, I learn more and more. And so I keep just adding things to the list. But, you know, I think my biggest, like, oh, the biggest things that is that I need to, that, I'm getting a bit tongue-tied now. Like, yeah, the, the biggest things that I think I really am looking to show up in in my relationships and my sexual relationships and romantic relationships is just consider it you know communicative and consistent
0: the three c's beautiful (laughs) Um, we love it we love like a little i mean you can tell you've done some work in branding
1: (laughs) yeah and like i just feel like you know sometimes like communication makes my skin like i feel like i'm on fire You know, and I have done a lot of um, things this year to, like, really sidestep fear and show myself, you know? Like, um, just even, like the biggest one of the biggest challenges was even putting out this idea of creating a platform to speak about like menstrual cycles or like the other one was like get, like to get funding from you know like and for my university and all of this stuff like I feel like I've really done a lot to be seen to communicate with the world and I think that's really helped my self-esteem um, because I usually shut down and stop communicating when I'm afraid you know and I'm afraid of judgment or I'm afraid I'm going to lose something and I think part of it is having this like blind faith that whatever's meant to be is will be and like what is meant mm-hmm. for me will not pass me by. And, um, so I try and like see that now in my relationships, especially the ones that haven't like had longevity for one particular reason. Yeah. Or another. Um, so yeah, I think like consideration is something that I really, uh, learned about this year and last year. And, and yeah, and just being consistent cause. <laughs> be all over the place sometimes and I'm still learning what consistency looked like but the actual list is quite long um in terms of the words that I've jotted down so
0: (laughs) so we'll go with what is it considerate communicative and consistent yeah so those are my top three these are
1: the three for 2021 I think we will see what transpires (laughs) for
0: 2022 (laughs) Ah, um so what do you think do you want to kick us off into the lightning round
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So lightning round. We haven't told you these ones, but it's just your first reaction. I know.
0: (laughs) Amber looks terrified. Sheer
2: panic sets in. Um, (laughs) um, So first question, what is your favorite part of your own cycle?
1: I, oh. This is a toss-up because I really love bleeding. Like, there is just something about it where I'm like, yes, that. it is the start of a new cycle. Here I am. I'm letting go of what happened in the last cycle, Get that wow. out of there. But then in the follicular phase, I get this just certainly. Wait, level. what is the follicular Yeah, okay. We're, we're noobs <laughs> connected. to, <discuss laughs> this so is. to have a podcast. <laughs> yes, so <laughs> the follicular phase is your phase that happens. Um, So just really quickly, the menstrual cycle is broken into four phases. So you have your menstruation phase, which is when you bleed, and that is day one, right? So your menstrual cycle starts on day one when you bleed. And then that will last for anywhere between like sort of two to five days. And then you move into the follicular phase, also known as post-ovulation. So it's this time where where you get the sort of ramp up of hormones and like, you know, you start like, you might realize you start feeling more energetic and you're like, hey, I could do anything. I'm really feeling this right now, you know, and it feels like, oh, it's, you know, here I am in the world, I emerged from this lovely menstruation cocoon.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> and then we have ovulation, which is obviously when our body is trying, it's, it's, it's ripe for conception. So everything's like super powered. So you might notice that within the, in the middle of your cycle, kind of like around like day 14 ish. Um, you might feel like you could, you are unstoppable. You know, you are like, your skin's looking good and everything fits right. And you're just like, you know, I, any person just, you know, is, you know, people are just after you. You know, you feel really sexual. You might, you know, like all of that. So that's your ovulation phase. Obviously, we feel that way because, like, you smell trying, good. <laughs> we want to con- conceive. Um, And then we go into the luteal phase, which is obviously this drop from this, which we talk about the post ovulation void, which is a pitfall to watch out for, because you can go from having this sort of three days of being like I'm superwoman to then dropping down into this, like, what's happening to my life, you know, and you kind of plateau. So the luteal phase is the phase we call pre menstrual phase. So you all, we all know this phase. And that's the most challenging phase, because we're going through these kind of you know, symptoms or signs or sort of challenges as we move into menstruation, our hormones are kind of changing again because it's basically sending the signal to our bodies to say, haven't conceived. Now we must shed the lining, and so we then start shedding that sort of the endometrium, which is the uterine lining. So yeah like so um that's just a really quick overview which was this was so not helpful. a lightning round because that was really long um so my one of my favorite phases is that follicular phase um because i just sort of can feel this change and i'm like yes yes you know and um, yeah but i love menstruating i just think it's a that's awesome process.
0: i love it love that and i thank you for the education also because are like yes. what oh, okay i know <laughs> Um, what it's is so the last good. movie that made you cry? Oh my gosh.
1: I feel like really weird to admit this, but I was on the plane, and for some reason, like when I'm on, on the planes, plane. I always cry. <laughs> we, is, we just said, said that the last podcast.
0: Yes. I was watching Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I love god. it. I
1: watched, like, three Harry Potters back-to-back, like, because I was a bit anxious, so I needed to go for something that was familiar. And um, I don't know what it was with the the camaraderie, the, like, you know, the the friendships, and all of a sudden, like, I'm literally crying in the seventh Harry Potter, like, I was just like, (laughs) "What? what is going on? So that is, I wish it was something, like, more deep and poetic or, like, more, like, you know. I don't know, cooler than that, but it was Harry Potter.
0: I think that's beautiful. I support that. And I I love your vulnerability here. So good. Um,
2: Favorite movie or... Wait, no, sorry. Favorite song to make you feel empowered?
1: Oh, I've just been listening to my ovulation playlist that I made.
2: Um, Will you please share that with us? I want to hear it. I
1: will. It's just... um, so at the moment, like, it's kind of this toss-up between, like, Lizzo, Good As Hell, um, yeah. and kind of, I don't know why, but there's sort of, like, really sort of sexy Ariana Grande songs from her album Positions. <laughs> didn't like oh, okay. Ariana Grande until, like, you know. Obulation. Didn't even <laughs> really know who she was until this year, but, like, something just happened, and
0: here I am listening there to you her my well, relation phase. We love your powerful ovulation. Yes. What is the most delicious thing you ate recently? Oh,
1: so I've made a recent turn into veganism. Congratulations. um, I was in a cafe in Norwich and they made vegan cardamom bun. As someone who was a big fan of cardamom buns when I was not vegan, this was, it was pretty tasty. Um, So that was, (laughs) I really enjoyed that. Um, it just was like just kind of the thing that I needed to not feel like excluded as a vegan.
0: <laughs> so I'm gonna oh. I'm gonna go
1: back to the, the love uh, it. I think it's called Artel Cafe in Norwich.
0: <laughs> Shout out Artel. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and uh, what turns you on? Take that however you want it.
1: Ooh, oh my gosh. I'm like sweating after that question. Like, I'm like...
2: <laughs> ovulating.
1: <laughs> yeah, ovulating. The follicular.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh oh this is such a hard one because it's like take it as you want but um oh i just had i just think like i really like those moments like um i'm trying to figure out how to explain this like i just think about those moments of like you know like if you kind of uh you know you're kind of just like at home chilling you've got like your partner there and then you know you just kind of have those like little moments of like little kisses and then it like kind of turns into like more and then all of a sudden it's just like you know it's just all on you know and like I don't know I just find that like that sort of like that little moment where you kind of like both look at each other like you know and you're like yes this is it like that's it in like a sexual term you know and um I guess like in any other sense of it like what it turns me on
0: menstruating <laughs> no, <I'm just> kidding. <laughs> I mean clearly it's awesome oh, <laughs> academically creatively it's all oh, happening oh gosh
1: academically like to be fair like I get these little like goosebumps every time I'm on to like something when I'm going through the archives of academic journals like that's where I know that's when I know that I'm I am where I need to be you know yeah. um 'Cause I'm like, oh, look at this information that I'm finding and collating, and it's just like the most nerd response, but like, you know. Um but yeah, and I think, yeah, I think that's weird two weird answers, but like, you know, yeah, I think for me that's it. I mean, there's probably loads more that I'll think of once we disconnect from this
0: podcast and I'll be like, Oh,
1: can you edit this in?
0: <laughs> yes, and then you have to send us photos of those things so we can use them on our Instagram. <laughs>
2: yes.
0: <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'll just put like goosebumps next to a textbook yeah yes, visual representation, like yes. me or
1: the other giant book like it's just me in my book tonight
0: <laughs> I me in this academic journal because i'm a scholar
1: all <laughs> oh, the people what well, the people at uni don't know what i'm
0: thinking is i'm like sitting at my desk <laughs> combing through the archives <laughs> um what do you love
1: oh what do i love oh do you know what i've just been reflecting on this like i was thinking about this the other day and it might just be because i'm in a phase of my cycle where like everything feels good but I just at the moment I'm just loving life um it's been a really hard year like it's been an absolutely hard year and I kind of feel like although what I'm embarking on is quite challenging like I'm actually here and I'm doing it and it's all panned out and um when I think of that I just think about how much I love the people that have helped me get where I am you know like because this has not been a journey oh I feel emotional this has not like been a journey of me just deciding that I want to go to university it has been like a consistent like effort on the people in my life like the especially the women in my life to be like mm. we are going to get you here it doesn't matter like yeah. I wouldn't be here without like the friends that I have you know and my family who have just been like backing me the whole way you know and um I recently spent six months at home with my family and it's the most time I've ever spent with them and I just feel like the relationships I have with them now is super fortified and um you know, just having people be like, you know, we're really proud of you, which is just something I felt like I never got as a kid, you know, and I'm getting it all now when I'm, like, like in my 30s and, like, people are like, I'm so proud of you, and I'm like,
0: (laughs) eee, you know.
1: (laughs) Um, but, like, yeah, I just – and I just am really in the space at the moment where I can just see that, like, everyone I'm meeting and everyone that's coming into my life is so, like, spiritually driven. Like, it's just nothing is happening by mistake. Um, and I'm just like, I just love what, like, God is doing for me right now, you know. And um, I love that. that's it. And that's it. It's, like, my love – like, you know, what else do I love? If I fucking love sobriety. Like, you know, and I love what I've been given – like you know through living this like glorious sober life like I don't have to have this messy sort of screwed up life anymore I mean it's still messy but you know it's just in a different way
2: so yeah, yeah I think that
1: was like five bajillion things that I love <laughs> oh, yeah, like, perfect just feeling the love for people at the moment which is so which you know a few years ago was such a foreign concept to me as well
2: yeah so. For oh, sure. Well, so the last question is, where can we find you on the World Wide Web? On the World Wide
1: Web. All right. So at the moment, I'm sort of um, loitering around on Instagram and you can catch me. My <laughs> Instagram handle is Amber Sis, Um So A-M-B-E-R-S-I-S-S, all one word. Um, or you can follow my relatively inactive, for now, account, Philosophy. So that's at Philosophy. Website will be coming in 2022 um, awesome. and,
0: you know, a few other platforms like LinkedIn, but we're not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much, Amber. Thank it's you been so much. a delight. Um, Thank you I am so glad to be here
1: and I'm such a fan of the podcast Yay! I just remember I remember <laughs> when it started out and I was like you know I remember when you guys did it and I remember the first episode of Rose's podcast that she did which then turned into sober sex indeed <laughs> and Blay, they, you know, yeah all, you were literally on there like should we make a podcast called
0: sober sex <laughs> <laughs> you literally did it that is actually hilarious. There's one episode it's a, it's a special treat for you, listeners. If you followed us to this point, it's called Bloody Hell. and there's one, and it's just with me, and it' was, basically it's thirty minutes in which we decide to make a podcast called Sex. <laughs> it's awesome well thanks again public for, brainstorm yes public brainstorm we love it um <laughs> thank you so much amber for being thank the best so thanks good to see you and
1: so good to see you guys and i love
0: that camp room that you've got like, so. oh it's my hue lamp by philip's <laughs> <laughs> what's that? i'm stopping this